Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson, and today I'm joined by David. Heyo. And Cade. Hey. So, so this morning, we wanted to first give us a, a little discussion of the news and some of the recent events, and then we'll jump in and just kind of introduce who we are as uh, hosts of the show. So first in the news, recently... Uh, Jose Valim's new company, Dashbit, announced an initiative called BytePack. And you can find that at BytePack.io. Check the show notes for a link. It is a system to help developers who want to offer paid libraries like hex packages, Ruby gems, NPM modules, or Docker files. It helps them deal with the subscriptions, global tax implications, uh, distribution to customers, and more. The service is not yet officially launched. It was discussed on... Elixir Talk, episode number 165, where Jose Ovalim was interviewed and discussed this as part of that discussion. Another bit of news is that Open, a library for job processing, which offers a paid administrative interface, recently came out with a new release. Open's pro interface and paid subscription was specifically mentioned in the BytePack interview as a use case for BytePack. You can check out Open in the link in the show notes. Got some other news, uh, for, especially in the Phoenix world. Uh, Phoenix Live Dashboard, uh, version 0, uh, 026 was released. It has a, a pretty cool feature where now you can see the application tree. So if you've ever used Erlang's Observer before, you might remember that, uh, you can see a list of applications that are started, um, in the, uh, VM. And so now that's been ported over to Live Dashboard. So it's pretty cool. So we're getting, we're really seeing, um, the Live Dashboard turn into like a read only, uh, online interface for, the uh, Erlang Observer. Uh, also in Phoenix Land, we have um, we have some new hooks for the for front end frameworks to work with incoming HTML changes. I'm excited about this because I was actually experimenting with a JavaScript library called Alpine JS, and somebody had opened up an issue um, saying that Alpine JS didn't work with Live View anymore, and that was kind of a bummer. I really wanted to um, get those libraries to work with each other. Alpine is really cool. It's it's almost like the tailwind of JavaScript frameworks where it's very declarative. You put a lot of your data into the HTML structure itself. And so, for example, you just put in x-data is open, and then you you have an on-click event that looks like view, and you tell it to change the value, and it does it. So it's a really easy way to manage some uh, some state on the HTML side with some JavaScript. And so now you can make it work with LiveView. So as LiveView patches in new stuff, uh, on the front end, uh, Alpine can see those changes and continue to work. So it's really cool. I actually tested this out, and it works. Uh, and lastly, uh, I noticed that Dashbit had pushed open, uh, pushed pushed up a repo called Nimble Publisher. You might have remembered that they they uh, blogged about this uh, about the creation of their website, um, how it's using Elixir underneath to look at all of their Markdown um, pages to um, publish their website, right? So every page is a markdown page that gets transformed into HTML. Um, and so Nimble Publisher looks like it's just, a, it's now a library to um, manage that so other folks can use it um, just as easily as they did. It looks pretty neat. So if you're, if you're considering an Elixir website and you want an easy way to still like write content like blog posts and pages uh, with markdown, that looks like a pretty cool library. And it happens all in compile time too. So it's very efficient. So with Nimble Publisher, does it come out as a static-generated website then? It is not, because uh, 
it's still an Elixir website there, right? It's still taking web web requests um, mm-hmm. via Phoenix, I presume, or where whatever you're using. But it is all compiled into you know the Beam files, so there's there's very little runtime uh, effect there, which is pretty cool. So it's not quite totally static, but at least the HTML that's getting served is pre-compiled, um, but still being served by Elixir servers. Nice. All right. And for today's main topic, we just wanted to kind of introduce who we are, a little bit of our background and experience, so you have a little bit of a, a better idea of uh, our perspectives as we uh, share information and, and our own viewpoints. So I can just kind of start with myself. So I started uh, Elixir back in, I think it was 2015 and 2014. Uh, that's when I started really exp- kind of experimenting with it. At the time, I was doing uh, Ruby full-time. Uh, along with front-end frameworks, uh, like you know, I've I've gone through all of them. <laughs> uh, you know, back from jQuery, uh, then doing Angular, going to Ember, and eventually React, and throwing in some Vue.js. So, like, I I've kind of covered a lot of the front-end stuff as well. Way back, you know, I kind of started programming with uh, like Basic, and moving to uh, Pascal, Object Pascal, which was called you know Borland Delphi at the time. And then moving from there to C Sharp, and then into Ruby, and then into Elixir. And so the other thing I want to cover is just like a favorite feature uh, that I found when I came to uh, Elixir. And for me, it was two main things. One, it was this idea of how pattern matching worked. I was super stoked about that. That felt like a superpower. I was able to do things that, you know, writing it explicitly through Object Pascal or or C sharp, it was just very, you know, you're exploring these large, deep object trees. And you're just like, well, if this is not nil, do this. If this is not nil, do that. And you're just trying to trying to navigate it to find out what is the value deep down here in a way that doesn't blow up. And Elixir just has such a better, elegant way of solving that kind of a problem with just a declarative pattern match. And so that one was like a it was like a big aha moment. And that was my first introduction to the idea of pattern matching in computer programming languages. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. And so I just kind of fell in love at that point. And then the other thing that really drew me in was the concurrency story with processes, the isolation between them, and this idea of supervision trees. And I thought that was like magic, you know, because I'm, I'm used to having things like uh, other external OS processes like God or Monit or something like that monitoring my Ruby application to make sure it's still running and if it dies to restart it. So it's like restarting things at the most coarse way it can do it as opposed to like this fine grain closest to where the problem can happen, fix it and get back and going smoothly again. So that was it for me. Uh, on Online, you can follow me at Thinking Elixir on Twitter. Hey, I'm Cade. I've been programming for about five years. I started in JavaScript and I worked at a place that was doing um, Python, Django, and Angular 1, and that was kind of my first foray into into the web. I took a strong liking into Angular and I became, I, I felt like I became pretty good at it. So um, I moved to a job after that that continued along with JavaScript and did React and I did React on the front end, Node on the back end for quite a while, and that's where most of my experience came from. And then about a year ago, I decided I wanted to try something a little bit different, and I ended up finding myself a job doing Elixir, and I've just loved it ever since. Um, I really enjoyed the pattern matching, like Mark was talking about, and 
another thing that I felt like I always had problems with was just like naming files and putting them in the right place and then having to require them. Um, and in a lot of my JavaScript files would be like require dot dot slash dot dot slash dot dot slash dot dot slash dot dot slash. And I just loved how the module system was not dependent on the location in Elixir. <laughs> I, me I remember thinking the same thing about module names um, and having no relation to where the file was supposed to be on the file system. I, so, hey, I'm David, and I started programming in 2016, um, started programming Elixir in 2016. I was just experimenting. Uh, and for several years before that, I was uh uh, programming in a little bit of Python and uh, mostly Ruby and Rails, old Ruby and Rails now, classic, maybe maybe you'd say. Uh, Rails 3, right before the Asset Pipeline came out, and then I migrated a bunch of code bases up to the Asset Pipeline, and now we're getting right back off of it. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I remember being introduced to Elixir um, and, and thinking, oh my gosh, you mean I can put this file anywhere and, and it's not going to complain? This is amazing. <laughs> Having come from Rails, uh, you might have some context there that uh, auto-loading is a, is a big thing in, in Ruby and Rails. So uh, where you put your files uh, really matter. Uh, how you spell it, how you pluralize it, all that stuff uh, makes a big deal. And if you, if you do it wrong, it's going to yell at you. Um, so that was a big deal for me. And uh, I started full-time at Elixir in 2017. I got a job at ThoughtBot, uh, and I haven't stopped since um, programming in Elixir. It's been lovely. Uh, but I still put in the occasional JavaScript and Ruby on Rails pull requests when I have to, um, and I still really like them. But I've really loved Elixir. And I was drawn to it uh, because it's a functional language uh, and, it, and it has immutability. I remember when... Um, I first started programming in React. There was uh, the Immutable JS library, and it was very different than what I was experiencing at the time being in Rails and OOP. So it was like, even though JavaScript isn't technically functional, I, I, there was a lot of patterns that were functional that I was starting to learn then. And then I saw Elixir, and it was totally uh, you know immutable. You didn't need a library for that. Um, and yeah, I was at the time, like I mentioned, I was migrating Ruby and Rails code bases um, from three to four to five. And I was pretty frustrated at the time with uh, OOP and inheritance and where the heck did this method come from and where did it go? <laughs> so I couldn't, I, it was really hard for me to debug. Uh, plus back then I was a less experienced developer too. Um, so coming into Elixir where you had to import all your functions, you could see everything at the top, just like in JavaScript, which I really enjoyed. And yeah, and your, your data only changed when you reassigned it. So it was, it was amazing. You didn't get any of these, these mystery guests coming into your code that was just, you know, screwing your stuff up. <laughs> um, that's how I felt anyway. Uh, you can find me online at Bernheisel on Twitter, B-E-R-N-H-E-I-S-E-L, or dbernheisel at GitHub. So I did want to comment on what you mentioned about the idea of uh, the freedom of moving files to different locations, because I think that's really funny. Because uh, I talked, like when I was introducing another friend to Elixir, and he was coming from a primarily Python background, where that's you know very much a specific thing, and you are doing the, the explicit require um, and I've never really been a Pythonista. So, uh, if that's not entirely true, I apologize, but, uh, you know, that was my understanding. And so it was just kind of interesting that, you know, getting that idea of that you have that freedom, but it also means that you can create really confusing application structures if you don't follow some basic conventions. 
The other thing I loved is that you mentioned immutable uh, as a favorite feature because I also loved immutability. And really, when I was uh, back when I first started getting into Elixir and I was really feeling the benefits of immutability, I went and I was still I was creating a mobile front end framework for a uh, you know like as a mobile device like a little app, and it was using Angular JS as like the the way it all was kind of wired together. And I was really missing immutability because of the bugs that I was getting and because I was managing this data and everything. So I actually brought in immutable JS. And uh, that made me even more appreciate the things that immutable behaviors can actually solve for you like in terms of problems. It's not, it's not entirely free. You know, sometimes there are a little bit of overhead. At least you have to be aware of certain conditions. But uh, overall, I, I've been super happy with that. So that was just fun. I'm glad you mentioned that. So we are the co-hosts, and uh, we're just going to be talking about the news of the day, what's going on in the Elixir community as we all follow it independently, and uh, kind of what we learn from each other. And we're going to be inviting guests on to uh, help us understand what they're doing in the community and learn from them as well. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope you'll join us next time on the Thinking Elixir podcast.